Welcome to another episode of Misunderstood Podcast, guys. This is your host, Kelly Sabraki, and I'm so excited about today's episode because I have dear, dear friend and Chicago neighbor, Samantha Hardy, on the podcast. We first connected in the hallway of our apartment building. She was wearing a Los Angeles mask, and I was like, hey, I just moved here, and then later found out how incredible of a human being she is, and I'm so excited for you guys to see and hear her light and love today. She is an associate licensed marriage and family therapist with the Chicago Center for Relationship Counseling and has been working with couples and partners at all kinds of relationships and adults and children for the last several years while in her program. While also studying as a graduate student in Northwestern's marriage and family therapy program, she worked alongside as a graduate assistant for her professional role model, Dr. Alexandra Solomon, and her graduation was this past June, so she's enjoyed being in the therapeutic space with individuals, couples, and adult families, which all face a variety of challenges, including anxiety, life transitions, difficult family relationships, communications, concerns, etc., etc. Not only is she a family therapist, but she also is a photographer, a portrait photographer, continuing to show the world how you can do both and be this professional. I'm so excited to share her story, but also some of her experience. She's new in the industry, but not new to relationship, and also just a genuinely positive person, which I think that we can all hear and pull some life lessons from. So stay tuned. So excited to share this episode about managing conflict and communication in your relationships. Here is Samantha Hardy. Let's dive in. You're listening to Misunderstood Podcast, where we're setting the record straight on all things misunderstood. I'm your host, Kelly Hall, pageant runner-up, model, speaker, entrepreneur, pageant queen, and U.S. Navy lieutenant. I may have never won a Miss USA title, but I am the queen of being misunderstood. Welcome to the show, guys. Welcome back to another episode of Misunderstood Podcast. I have the ray of sunshine, the gem, the diamond in the rough. Literally, she's full of rainbows and smiles. It's Samantha Hardy. Sam, thank you so much for being here. Oh my gosh, Kelly. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm so excited and I'm so honored to be here. Your podcast is incredible. Your brand is incredible. To anyone listening, Kelly, she walks the talk. She's amazing. <laughs> I have been so blessed to live That's in the sweet. same building as her. Literally, it's been the greatest experience. And she really is the most supportive human being in the whole wide world. Like women supporting women Thanks, in Sam. real life. Oh truly. my God. I thank you so much. I feel like um, we just recently talked about this, but when we met, it was like divine intervention. Yeah. I mean, we met, I think, what was it? The first week I was living here yeah, and it was in the hallway yeah. of our apartment building. And you, you'd only been here for what, a couple months, six months. That's exactly right. And I saw you and I pet Dale because your dog Dale is the sweetest She's dog the in best, the whole wide world. Obviously. obviously. Dale is here right now. Sorry guys, if you hear him barking. Yeah. 
He's so sweet. So we ran into my now fiance, Spencer, and I ran into Kelly and Austin in the hallway. We got chatting. And I've gotten to do so many fun photo shoots with Kelly. The best. Literally every single picture on my Instagram is at Sam Hardy Portraits. Every oh single God. one. I'm like sponsored by him. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's just too fun. So thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Well, when I met you, you were you know still in your grad program. And I'd also like to say in my mind, like you are the personification of Elle Woods because you've not only obviously like exceeded your grad program in every way at Northwestern, but you were the grad speaker. Guys, she literally stood on stage with, you had pink heels on, right? They were bright yellow. Yellow, that's right. My signature color. Yellow, that's right. That's right. That's right. Your bright yellow heels and your purple gown. And you spoke in front of everyone with your beautiful blonde hair. And it was like so uplifting and perfect. And I think I cried watching your God speech because it was so good. And I was like, oh my God, you are Elwoods. Like you are it. So, oh my God, just majestic. I adore you. What I love and why I wanted to have you on the podcast You're so humble, and I know that you're just starting in your career as a marriage and family therapist, but just like in our conversations, you really elevate any conversation we have about communication or talking to your partner or handling conflict or navigating, you know, these difficulties. Yes, because you are, you know, obviously like a marriage and family therapist, but just like a human being, you do such a tremendous job. So that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. You know, I think a lot of people can relate to where you're at. You're recently engaged. Oh, you've yes. known your fiance <laughs> since you what, 14, I think? Fourth grade. Fourth oh yeah. fourth grade. <laughs> I mean, so you know a little bit about relationships. Like, let's be honest. You're not, you know, you're not like, oh, I've never been in a relationship before. But here are my tips. Like, oh. you know, so I think like personally, you can talk the talk, but then you know, through your professional career, you have a lot of insight to give. So I'd like to just kind of like dive right in. We've been wanting to do this forever and kind of get you officially on the podcast. We're going to be talking specifically about conflict resolution and tips for resolving that conflict and then just generally like communicating with your partner. Thank you. Just thank you for the kind words. No, truly. Um, Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited to talk a little bit more about it. And The first thing I want to share with everyone is something that I know I've talked to you about, and that is, right, I graduated from Northwestern in June of 2022, so just this past June, and since this past September, I've been working as an associate marriage and family therapist in the city of Chicago, which has been incredible. As a heads up to everyone listening, so the process of being a marriage and family therapist, you go to grad school for two years. You typically get about 500 hours of therapy completed. It's a lot of hours. It is. It is. So we we do those 500 hours. And then um, once you graduate, you have to complete a certain number of thousands of hours, depending on your state, to get licensed as well as take a licensure exam. So what that means is I'm currently in the process of getting licensed. But anything that I share today is, I mean, based on my clinical experience, my experience talking with mentors who are amazing, um, as well as the research. There's so much good research. Wow. So, yeah. That's- That's awesome. So I know I've looked over here at your beautiful notepad. I know that you have like dozens and dozens of lines of tips. So how many tips total do you have for us today? Today I have five. Okay. So we get, let's really dig into it. So what is your first tip? So the first tip is 
be gentle with yourself and your partner. We are living in a very, very busy world, right? We're all really busy. But on top of that, we don't really have relationship 101 classes, right? We don't have them in our elementary schools, in our high schools, maybe in your college you know, course load if you're very, very lucky. I just like to say for a second, that's a brilliant thought because think about like how, like right now you're talking about 500 hours to get licensed, right? In your career. And like in the Navy, we have so many certifications and training. And I did four years of the Naval Academy, but being married and being married to Austin is, I would say the biggest commitment of your life, yet there's almost zero to no preparation for it. That's right. <laughs> There's not like a class. And that is the thing. Where do we learn this? And we learn it from our family systems, the people in our lives when we're growing up. And that can be for better or for worse, right? There can be beautiful things about that that we want to take away from our parents' relationships, from our sibling relationships. But there are also things we might want to leave behind. So we're not given a lot of guidance on how to do that. My mentor when I was at Northwestern and still today, her name's Dr. Alexandra Solomon. She's absolutely incredible. But she actually has created a marriage 101 class that I got to be a teacher's assistant for at Northwestern for undergrads. So that was a really amazing amazing experience. And I suppose, you know, the the reason I just start out with this tip is things are really hard. Relationships are really hard. So be gentle with yourselves always. For those like me who I feel like I try to be gentle with myself, I'm getting better at it. Like now that I'm 30, I think I'm just realizing like I can't possibly do it all. I can't possibly manage it all. But how do you even start? Like, is there any like sort of self-talk or journaling or like recommendations for those who maybe are very critical or maybe have really high stress levels or don't have the best reaction to situations? Oh, such a good question. You know, bringing it back to Dr. Alexandra Solomon, something that she's done, which is incredible. She is an e-course called Intimate Relationships 101. And she likes to say that it's marriage 101 for the grown and sexy, right? Oh, like I it like is that. it's for adults who are interested in taking the e-course that is based upon the college class. But in addition to that, building your as what we would call your relational self-awareness, your self-awareness within yourself, but in connection to the people in your life as well. It's incredible. If journaling works for you, that's amazing. Talking to a therapist is great. Talking to friends or family, learning their stories, being really curious about how that lands for you, all really great things. I love that. And I'd say part of being gentle for me, like I interpret that in I'm curious what you have to say about this. Like now I'm maxed in my career. Like I am doing everything I possibly can. I feel like I'm stretched a hundred ways, but like the cup is full. You know, like I could not possibly add another thing to my career right now. Personally, you know, I'm not single anymore. Like I do have Austin and Austin is my priority. And then I do have little Dale over here who is trying to climb all over us. He's like really trying to climb all over you. Sorry. Um, but like, you know, I, <laughs> I wish you guys could see Dale is literally climbing on Sam's shoulders. Like as we're recording this, I'm sorry. Um, but like clearly, you know, like there's a lot going on. I can't even record a podcast without like my dog needing my attention, my husband needing my attention. So, you know, we were talked about this. I, I do things like I don't stress about serving a perfectly curated meal or dinner or like feeling guilty about doing takeout. I get frustrated when people make comments on say like my home laundry piling up or dishes. Like if someone's like, oh wow, Kelly, like you really haven't done the dishes. 
I'm just like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to let that go because it's so at the bottom of what I want to put pressure on myself right now. And then same thing with Austin. Like, I don't try to get frustrated with him when things aren't perfect around the household because I'm like, we're doing the best that we can. And like, I'd rather spend time with you and relax with you and sit on the couch with you and make sure everything's perfectly like dusted. And you know what I mean? So I feel like those are the ways that we're a little bit more gentle with each other instead of being hypercritical about everything being perfect at the home or like I said, a, a meal perfectly served or, you know, everything being just so like just trying to remember that we're like doing the best we can. It's honestly such a beautiful segue into the second tip of being in the moment, being present in the moment with yourself and also your partner is so rewarding, right? Being gentle with yourself, being present. The second tip that I want to share with you, I think is really, really fun. And it leans into that idea of how we can be relationally self-aware or continue to, to practice that because it's always a practice, right? It's hard to just be aware of what activates us or what what turns us off, what turns us on, whatever that is. So I want to introduce to you Dan Siegel's hand model of the brain. So uh, for anyone in the world of psychology, Dan Siegel, he is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA School of Medicine, as well as a founding co-director of the Mindful Awareness Research Center at UCLA. Shout out to my dear friend, Megan, who uh, worked with him while she was at UCLA. So Dan Siegel has created this hand model of the brain to help us understand the physiology behind when we become emotionally activated or emotionally dysregulated. And this kind of is a, you know, part one of, you know, sort of another tip that is upcoming, but I want to do this with you and anyone listening can follow along. I'm going to try and make the instructions as clear as humanly possible. Okay. So you're going to bring your hand up as if you're giving a high five. You're going to fold your thumb down over your palm, and then you're going to fold your fingers over your thumb, your forefingers kind of over your thumb. So you're kind of holding your thumb in a fist shape. Mm -hmm. So this is your brain. Say hi to your brain. I love brain. <laughs> I love brain. So your wrist is sort of demonstrating what your brain stem might look like. So your brain stem, your spinal cord, right? It goes up into the where your thumb is. So that you can lift your forefingers and show off your thumb. Your okay. thumb is representing your limbic system. This is your fight, flight, freeze, or fawn response. Have you heard of fawn? No, actually. Many people in our common everyday vernacular know that fight, flight, or freeze might refer to how we respond when mm -hmm. we're becoming emotionally activated. Researchers are sort of figuring out that there's this fourth one called fawn, often found, I mean, can be within anyone, but often within women who are socialized in a feminine society. Um, and that is being extra, extra nice mm -hmm. and protecting yourself in that way. So I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're feeling unsafe. Mm -hmm. Maybe you're surrounded by other guys or girls or uh, just people who are making you feel uncomfortable, my go-to is to fawn. It's to say, oh my gosh, thank you so much. Oh, this is lovely. Okay, well, I have to go, right? It's that really extra nice kind of response. I feel like I'm actually at a point where I'm between fawn and fight. Like they battle with me because part of me, it's interesting. And then also freeze. And I'll say it's Share this quick anecdote. You know, just on Saturday, I was at an event and someone in regards to my social media, they literally said, you suck to my face. And it was one of those things where, you know, recently I've been good at almost like fighting. Like my initial response is like, 
excuse me, like, is that how we should communicate with people? Like, you know, how dare you say blank? Or, you know, I kind of call people out, but I just like froze because I was so surprised that someone would say that just directly at me. But in general, I think in my early 20s, it was very fun. I was like, oh, like, okay, thank you. Like, I didn't know, like, really what to do. So I was, like, over, probably over nice. Um, But like I said, now I almost, like, want to stand up for myself in those situations. And I always have regrets, too, about how I handle the situations. I'm like, oh, I should have stood up for myself. I should have called them out on their behavior. So now I kind of battle those two things. But I definitely – there's still moments that, like, take my breath away and I just, like, freeze. And I'm like, oh, I don't really know what to say. (laughs) Right. And in the theme of being so gentle with ourselves, right, that can happen. We can have different responses in different situations. But also I I hope that we can – hold those responses to be very much survival responses, Mm -hmm. right? Like traditionally, I suppose when I say traditionally, I mean like historically, like many, many thousands of years ago, if we were being chased by a bear in the forest, you know, we might have one of those responses. Now fawn, we may not have fawned over the bear. Hello, little bear. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. We probably wouldn't be doing that. But but we want to hold those, those responses kind of at the top of mind when we're talking about this hand brain model, because we want to think about how we might respond if our partner activates us, right? And mm-hmm. I want to, I want to, I'll continue with that in a moment, but bringing us back to that, that fist. So when you bring your four fingers over that thumb, those four fingers are representing your cortex, sort of your prefrontal cortex, right? This is where you have your logic your regulation. It is really regulating your limbic system. Mm. Your prefrontal cortex is regulating the fight, flight, freeze, fawn. But when we get tired, when we get emotionally activated, when we are living our busy lives, when our partner, you know, quote, presses a button that, Mm. that activates us, what happens is we can, quote, flip our lid And what happens is if you look at your hand, your four fingers sort of rise. Mm. And what happens, you are left with just that unprotected limbic system going okay. at it. So the reason we use this is because it's a really beautiful example of what does it look like when I'm flipping my lid? When my fingers are just raising, right? When my when my lid is just flipping, mm-hmm. what's going on inside of me? What are the thoughts that are coming up? For me, when I think of flipping my lid, as I'm starting to get activated, I notice my heart rate gets a little faster, right? This could be in a conversation with right, Spencer, if we're having a conversation that's touching something tender in me, my heart rate will increase. My thoughts will immediately go to, oh my gosh, where is this going? What does this mean? That My mind will start racing a little bit as well as my emotions. I'll typically get kind of anxious feeling. Like yeah. That's what comes up within me. And for a lot of people that can be different. You know, you could be angry. You could be sad. You could be hurt, right? There's a lot of emotions that can come up just in that moment. But the reason I want to give you this tip of this handbrain model is when you are in your next conversation with a partner, with a family member, with a friend, and you are noticing those things inside of you that tell you, ooh, my lid is flipping. Something's happening in me that's making me dysregulated. Just noticing that is a huge, huge first step. I've literally been going through this so much recently, both at work and professional relationships and then also with Austin. And like I said, I think it's because my cup is so full. I feel like my reactions are a lot quicker than they used to be. Like I'm more sensitive maybe. 
um, because I am just doing the best that I can. So, you know, when Austin, he has different tones. And so, like, sometimes he's really tired, too, and he had a really long day. So he'll say something like, oh, like, I see that the dishes still aren't done. He doesn't ever really say that. But, like, just as an example. And my initial, like, heart boom, I'm just like, seriously? Like, uh, you think I had an opportunity to do the dishes today? And then to backtrack, like, if he approaches that a lot nicer and he goes, hey, like, is there any chance that we can just take care of the dishes at some point this week? Like, it's just really piling up. Then my my heart isn't immediately spiked. And I'm like, let's do that. Like, it's definitely getting a little out of control. I agree. But I'm trying to work with him on both the way we talk to each other mm-hmm. first so we don't offset those things but then I'm also trying to like okay before I react to what he said that I did and I didn't like the way he said it taking a deep breath and being like okay um hey like, I'm sorry I'm I know the dishes are bad I've just really really been struggling like you know and he'll be like you were so right. I'm so sorry. I shouldn't have said it that way. So taking a breath so that way I don't add more fuel to the fire by reacting like really frustrated and like upset. And usually he'll take a step back to and be like, okay, you know, you're right. I shouldn't have said it that way. Like, I'm just tired. It's such a good example. Doing the dishes or having someone not do the dishes and having your partner get frustrated. Like it's such a good practical example of something that happens I feel like for so many people, right? And it, it's such a good example too of how everything is relational, right? We learn a lot. We talked so much in the marriage and family therapy program that I was in about how it's not just I do something and then you do something and then that's it. It's I say something which activates something in you and then you say something which activates something in me, which activates something in you. And it's very circular, right? So a lot of our work in therapy is breaking down what is the pattern that's Mm -hmm. happening and bringing it back to to that hand-brain model. What can we do when my lid is flipping so that my response to you is less, um, you know, fight, flight, freeze based. It's less based in reactivity mm-hmm. and more based in responsivity, right? Like we're, we're holding that response in the groundedness that we feel in our hearts mm-hmm. versus the reactiveness that we're feeling through our limbic system. Mm-hmm. So this next tip, this third tip, I think goes along beautifully with what you're saying. And that is the idea of a timeout technique. A timeout technique, it can really be seen throughout the literature, but Mona Fishbane is an incredible clinician who's really stated that using a timeout break when one or both members of a couple are emotionally dysregulated, it can help the dialogue proceed a lot more productively. So, you know, there are other clinicians that have done research on this, Karen Rosen, colleagues, and of course the infamous Gottmans, right, John and Julie Gottman. So here's how it works. I love this technique and I'll talk about it with couples and individuals too because regardless of whether or not you're in an intimate relationship, being aware of what happens when your quote lid is flipping Mm -hmm. and how to progress through that can be so helpful. So growing up, right, when we're put on a timeout, it can it has a really bad connotation, right? You did something bad and now you need to sit in the corner. But I want to take, I want to remove that negative connotation from this timeout phrase and think of it in a really positive way. So when we're taking a timeout, we are saying to ourselves, I'm noticing my lid flipping. I'm noticing that if we continue in this conversation, I am not going to be the present grounded person that I want to be. 
and I need some time to debrief. And then I want to come back to this, right? There's a lot of important parts in that. One is making shared meaning with your partner as to what it means to walk away. I think oftentimes, let's say we're both getting escalated in a moment of conflict and your partner just walks away. They don't communicate with you that they are needing some time and then we'll return. Yeah. For you, it can be very jarring to see yeah. your partner walk away and to think, oh my gosh, are, are we never going to talk about this again? Are they leaving? No, we got to settle this now, right? Especially in our busy lives that we're talking about, we want to get things done. We want to settle things. But what I encourage you know, listeners to, to think about in these moments is, what would it mean for me to pause, notice what's coming up for me, and say to my partner, hey, I notice I'm getting really activated right now. Would it be okay if I stepped away for 20 minutes and then we can come back and finish this conversation? Talking with your partner about it before a moment of conflict can be really wonderful. Saying, hey, next time we are in a moment where things are feeling really tense, you know, I think I would really love to practice walking away and then coming back, right, and communicating that with you because that joint meaning means a lot. When you are telling your partner, I'm walking away because I care about you. Mm. I love you. I love our relationship. And that's why I'm taking this time to care for myself. Mm. It means a lot. And of course, when we're walking away, I am not encouraging people to uh, continue stewing on the situation, right? Thinking of new data about how your partner's wrong. We want to try and lean out of that and instead lean into self-care activities like meditating or working out or going on a walk, cooking a meal, doing something that feels caring to your soul in that time when you're away from your partner. This is actually the first time I've talked to you about any of these tips. You know, as long as we've been friends, it's kind of interesting that we haven't tangibly put them down on paper. You haven't discussed tip by tip. But I just recently, two things. One, Austin and I were in an argument and I had a real, I was in the middle of a really, really hard week at work. And I was just like, I need a minute. And I just went to go take a shower. And, you know, he tried to come in the bathroom. He's like, oh, I, I still want to talk about it. And I was like, Austin, I just really like, I just need like 10 minutes. Like I just need, like it's going to be better for you and better for me if I just like take a shower real quick and like unwind because I'm still holding the stress of the day. Mm-hmm. And that I came back and it was like a whole new conversation. It was like a brand new relationship, you know, just like literally taking 10 minutes to like go take a shower uninterrupted. And I didn't know at the time that that's exactly what you're talking about, kind of like just taking that time out. But also, I'm curious what you'll have to say about this before I started taking the train into work. So when I first started in this job, you know, we live in downtown Chicago. I'm commuting an hour plus every day into base. I would come home after driving. I would have to, you know, it's like 90 minutes to come home in traffic with Chicago drivers who are the absolute worst. I would come home and I would be mean. I was just in a bad mood. Even if I had a great day, just battling the elements coming home. It's not unwinding. It's not relaxing. And I was just straight up like a mean person. Um, And I'd have to now come home and try to unwind and be prepped to be with my husband because I hadn't had that time yet to like be present to be home. Everything changed when I started commuting with the train because I had a solid hour, no matter how bad my day was or how busy my day was or how great my day was, I had an hour to myself to do absolutely nothing, to listen to my podcast, to journal, to work on my social media, really just like my me time. And by the time Austin picked me up from the train, I'd like reset. So it was like my own personal timeout. And I feel like that 
that paid dividends in our marriage for me to be like reset. So when I came home, I didn't bring that stress home. And that was like my own personal timeout that like I value so, so, so much. Oh, I love that. Right, right. Well, I'd love to ask you because I'm thinking about how that's such a beautiful decompression time, right? Just a time for yourself to transition from the very stressful workday to the energy that you're going to be coming home to or wanting to present when you come home, right? I wonder, do you have any ideas about how people can, I have a couple, but I want to ask you, like, do you have any ideas for how people can do that if they don't have a commute when we're working from home? Mm -hmm. Like, how can we do that? Yeah, I, especially when Austin and I were working from home, I think, look at me being a, you know, professional marriage therapist. No, I'm just kidding. Guys, these are Kelly's personal tips. I'm not licensed at all. But like, I think having some sort of a separation, you know, um, to reset, whether it's going out, walking your dog. If I'm here with Austin, I will take 20 minutes to like go pick up my Starbucks take, you know, Dale for a quick 20 minute walk and then like come back and I'm like a little bit more reset. Um, I used to do a better job of working out after work and like that always helps me, but just like literally any sort of time. So that way you kind of release that stress. It's like I said, like a personal timeout because if not, I was just deflecting it onto him and he could have a great day, but like, I'm still not to say that, you know, my I, I hate my job or anything, but it's just stressful. Like life is stressful. Dealing with people is stressful. Commuting is stressful. Um, your day-to-day work, like that's a lot. And I, you know, didn't I owed Austin a more reset, better version of myself when I came home because it wasn't his fault. Like it wasn't his fault I was having a hard day. So maybe that helps a little bit. I just have one last thought on this because I love what you're saying, right? And and something I, I can't for the life of me remember where I, I – I know I learned about this in my grad program. I can't reference it right now. But the idea is that if you think about it, if someone stays home, whether they're staying at home just within the relationship, if they're staying at home to work from home, and you have someone coming from the outside world back from work or from being out with friends, whatever that is – the energies are very different. The energy of being home, quiet, grounded, doing, you know, in your routine at home, and someone walking in the door from their commute. There's a tip, I can't remember where I heard it, but there's this idea of hugging one another for one minute when you walk in the door Aww. to regulate jointly your kind of arousal systems, right? So that you match, you're a little bit more matched when you come in because that one minute hug allows for your heart rate to come down, allow for you to just connect the minute you walk in the door. So I just love that tip. Again, I forget where I heard it. I can't cite it. I love it too because Austin and I do this. We don't do it for a minute, but like I'll come home and I'll just say, hold me. (laughs) You know, again, like just the busyness, the busyness of those days. So I, I love that. That's a great tip. Oh my gosh, I love it. This brings us really beautifully to our fourth tip that I was thinking of before coming in today. And this is something that I've witnessed a lot in my clinical experience. And it just falls in line with this conversation about the fact that we are so busy. We're so busy all the time. Hustle culture is real, right? And there is this very difficult space when you're in a partnership or in a friendship, right? Or in a family relationship, any kind of relationship where you're partner, friend, family member comes home from work and wants to complain or vent. And oftentimes for a lot of us, we're problem solvers, right? So Kelly, if you came home from work and said, oh, things were really hard and I I don't know what to do, 
my response could be, well, you should do this. You should think about this, right? We often go into problem-solving mode with our partners when really the most magical thing you can do is validate. Validation is so, so, so powerful. And I, I see this time and time again where, you know, someone comes home from work and, and wants to share about their day, typically the hard things, and it's hard for their partner to witness them being in a space of discomfort without wanting to step in and help right? Step in and problem solve. Oftentimes moms can have this energy, right? Of, oh, well, hon, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? Have you thought about this? When really that person was just sharing this because they didn't want to hold it alone. Mm -hmm. They wanted a witness there. So there are three phrases that um, this absolutely stems from Spencer, my now fiance, who I truly love more than anything in the whole wide world. He has taught me so much about this, right? I would come home Oh, I would come home from that graduate school program where we were doing a full-time graduate school caseload along with a very hefty client caseload all at the same time. And I would come home and I would tell him, I don't know how to do this. This is so hard. You know, I have this paper due. I have all of this due. I just, it's, I'm miserable. And he would say, gosh, that just sounds so hard. And I would go, I know it's really hard. And he goes, gosh, it just sounds like it sucks. Like That just must suck. I go, it does. It does suck, right? And then he goes, well, tell me more, right? Tell me more about how hard it is. And just those three words, right? Like that sounds hard. That must suck. And tell me more. He solved the problem more than he ever could have by telling me what to do. Wow. I love Spencer. <laughs> I love that so much. That's so true. Uh, that's so true. I was just recently talking with Austin, a coworker, a couple other people. Like, I think even you about how sometimes when things happen to me, I just need to like release it. Yeah. You know, like I'm not looking for you to solve my problem. I just like need to tell you about what happened that day or something rude that was said to me or whatever and just release it and then be done with it. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, I think that's definitely true. And like my scenario with Austin, like he is a civilian. He's never served a day in the military. There are some basics, basics that he just, he won't ever understand like chain of command or conversation or like when someone tells you to do something, you just do it. You don't challenge it. And so like, I get frustrated about something or I get frustrated about the culture or I get frustrated about the way I'm treated or I know just in general, like, you know, I signed up for a really hard billet currently and yeah, I'm taking it day by day, but there's a lot of power in just being like, yeah, like that must be hard. And he always wants to solve my problems. Um, he's a big problem solver. But yeah, sometimes I'm just looking for, like you said, that validation of like, hey, but you can do this. Like you got this. Like that's tough. But if anyone can do it, you can, you know, and that's what I crave a lot. So mm-hmm. definitely going to be circling back with Austin and being like, here's a tip for I us, you know, that. because you won't always know exactly what your partner's going through. Right. Oh, just for the listeners to hear, Kelly and Austin are the sweetest too. It's so, I, I feel so, so lucky to have them as friends in my life. And hearing that, I, I, I just love it. I love it. I think sometimes when we're in relationships, we can feel as if we know this person better than anyone could ever know them. When in reality, they have their own inner world that as much as we can try and see it, we can never fully see it, right? So being curious, remaining curious and present with your partner, especially when they're sharing stuff that is hard for them, that's just so powerful. It's really amazing. Yeah. 
I love it. This is so therapeutic for me. I bet it's going to be so therapeutic for the listeners. I think no matter what kind of relationship you're in, like you said, peer, professional, personal, family, marriage, engaged, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, like this is such a great way to reflect. So bring us home with the final tip. So this final tip, it's going to sound direct, but I phrased it this way on purpose. Um, The final tip I think from me is go to therapy the very first time your partner asks you to or your family member asks you to or whatever that looks like. The reason I feel so strongly about this is I think the stigma around therapy getting professional mental health help it is slowly dissolving, right? So many people have reached out for therapy in the past year, in the past several years. The stigma is dissolving, which is such a beautiful thing. But I want to name that for so many, it, it's still very challenging to be asked to join therapy, to be asked to join a space of self-reflection, especially if it's by your partner, right? And I think What's so complicated about this is that we all have, as I mentioned in the very beginning, we all have our family systems, we have our our cultures of origin, we have our communities of origin, we have all of these different identities within us, and therapy can be a beautiful place to explore that individually with your partner or with a family, and it's especially important to understand it because of how important relational self-awareness is, right? Dr. Alexandra Solomon talks a lot about relational self-awareness, but it really is going a step further than just being self-aware. It's being relationally self-aware, self-aware in the context of your relationships. So going to therapy nowadays can mean so much more than there is this drastic thing that happened in my partnership or there's this drastic thing that I'm experiencing. You can go to therapy to better understand yourself, better understand you and your partner. Perhaps you're engaged and on the path to being married and premarital therapy, premarital counseling is a really popular, wonderful thing. But also, even if you're in your first few years of marriage, your first few years of being in a relationship, whatever that looks like, having someone there to sit with you and to process what is coming up for you can be so powerful and can be really supportive in the long run. Mm-hmm. The one thing I want to add on top of this too is, you know, of course, all of the tips that I shared today, I'm, I'm talking about sort of a, a relationship in a normative situation. If you are experiencing interpersonal violence, domestic violence, abuse, anything like that, I so encourage you to reach out to a hotline or to a therapist, right? To really, you know, I I think these tips are not to be used perhaps in those contexts. I, I really want you to feel like you have the support that you need in those contexts, but go to therapy, try it. There are some very accessible, um, therapy has become more accessible as well, right? Um, I have not tried BetterHelp, but I know BetterHelp is very popular right now as a you know, sort of a therapeutic outlet. Um, but there's also uh, clinics in your community. Many clinicians take insurance if that's something that you're that you have. So I just I encourage it. I'm biased, of course, because therapy's awesome, but I just really encourage you to go if you have the opportunity. I heard this quote, and I think I told it to you a while back um, on a podcast a while ago. As podcaster mentioned, she said that she and her husband, I think they've been married for like five years, but they go to therapy at least a couple of times a year, if not three times a year. And she said she looks at it kind of like an oil change. Yeah. Like you don't you don't wait for your car to break down and then change the oil. 
you change your oil at a certain mileage and, you know, make sure you're reset and then good to go to keep continuing forward, right? And keep driving forward. And I thought that was so powerful because, you know, again, like, you know, having that little checkpoint, that little quick oil change in your relationship, changing out the tires, changing out the oil, making sure it all functions to continue on in your journey before the car breaks down. And, you know, I think it it can be tough, but even just like introducing that term early on, so that way there is not a stigma. Yes. You know, I, you know, Austin and I talk, we did premarital therapy and counseling, and then we also went to like a premarital weekend workshop um, with someone before, you know, we got married and that was actually sponsored by the Navy, which was great. But all those things were kind of introduced to both he and I. So that way it's not weird in our first couple years of marriage to like see someone, talk to someone, you know, and I, I want him to feel not intimidated by that as well. So I love, like I said, I loved that quote. I love that, you know, you don't want to do it before you like break down, before there's like a big issue. And it can be really fun. I know that's such a funny thing to say, but therapy can be so fun. It can be so rewarding, so challenging, so enlightening. And so I, 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 gosh, I just love that quote. That's right. I'm a huge supporter of it. Sam, I'm a big supporter of you. Obviously, (laughs) everyone can tell, like, this is actually how Sam is all the time. Like, you could literally be talking to her about a flat tire, and she'd be like, that's okay. It's going to be great. (laughs) What a beautiful opportunity to reflect. And I'm like, you're right. Like, I wouldn't have thought about it that way. Um, So I love that this is, you know, you to your core, clearly in the right profession, but you're also just like a genuine human and friend and partner to Spencer and great, you know, co-aunt slash neighbor to Dale who is curled up in her lap right now. Absolutely loves her. Um, But thank you so much. This was really powerful. And I love tangible tips that our, our listeners can write down, reflect on, listen to in the car. And really, I think your takeaways are going to be amazing. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This was such a joy. Thank you to everyone who's here and listening. And Kelly is just a total personal hero of mine. So I feel really honored. I'm going to include all your links so people can find you and reach out to you. I'm sure you would be happy for people to DM and and chat with you and connect with you as well. And I'll include some of your professional links. So thank you, Sam, so much. I think we solved a lot of questions that's misunderstood about conflict resolution and communication. So thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Kelly. Thanks so much for tuning in to another episode of Misunderstood Podcast. I love hearing from you guys. And I want you to take a screenshot of this episode, tag at misunderstood.podcast on Instagram and share a takeaway from today's episode. Something you loved, something you wanted more of, whatever it is, it helps me learn what you guys want to hear. Please consider leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify. I want to give a special shout out to my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. If you are looking to launch a podcast or if you already have one, you can get unlimited podcast editing by visiting usehatch.fm. That's usehatch.fm. Thanks so much, guys. Until next week, this is your misunderstood Kelly Hall.